following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. I realize that there is some risk and danger in telling people what they should have as their New Year's resolution, right? Uh, so I'm not going to tell you you have to make prayer a New Year's resolution. Uh, but I, I, I would like to encourage you to think about it. Um, for me, even though prayer is a significant part of my life, I feel that there's a lot about prayer I do not do well or understand. And um, maybe it's because I'm getting old. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's just the way God's moving. But I feel like I don't want to waste too many more years not doing prayer well. When you read through James... Uh, James says that, that, that prayer should accomplish things, right? That something powerful and specific uh, should happen when we pray. And so uh, it's not so much that I want to challenge us to pray more. Uh, maybe you need to pray more. Maybe you already pray a lot. That's not really the challenge. But the challenge is how do we pray more effectively? How do we see more of God's true power uh, at work in our prayer life? And that's what I want to uh, focus on for the next couple of weeks and see if there are some things we could, we could set aside as a goal to, to work on this year that would help us really know how to pray like James describes in this passage. <clears throat> Prayers that are powerful and effective. Just to read again verse 15. He says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Uh, James says that basically there's two clear results of this kind of praying. Uh, the first is that the, the sick would be healed, would be raised up, restored to physical health. Right? Um, do you see that kind of power in your prayer, that you pray for people and they get better? They are restored to health. Secondly, he says that, that their sins will be forgiven. That is, that through our praying, we can restore people to spiritual health. We can see lives and relationships reconciled both to God and to, uh, to spouses, to families, to, to co-workers. Right? That our praying can produce those kind of tangible, real results. Um, it's interesting, uh, a lot of commentaries, uh, when they go through these verses explaining them, try to downplay what James says here about physical healing. And some commentators try to say, well, what he's really saying here is it's all just, you know, we're all spiritually sick and uh, that this is praying for spiritual healing, right? Uh, but the language is quite plain and simple, right? He says if you're sick, not spiritually, if you're sick, if you have a cold, if you have cancer, if you're sick, call the elders and pray that you will get better, that you will be healed, that you'll be raised up to good health, right? Um, we, we like praying for forgiveness of sins because, you know, you can't really tell if that one got answered. Well, you can, but it's not as obvious. But when people are sick and they get better, it's obvious if God answered your prayer or not, right? Uh, how many of you have lots of experience of that prayer not being answered? I have lots, right? I prayed for lots of people. I can't see I've seen a lot of people cured instantly and miraculously, right? But James says... Uh, 
that this is an expectation of prayer. He goes on and he says, also says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Great power as it is working. Uh, it has power in its operation. The, the Greek word there for power has the idea of to have power shown by extraordinary deeds. Right? Uh, to exert or wield power, to have strength to overcome, to be a force, to avail great things. Right? That's what prayer is supposed to do. Right? It's not that we just spend a lot of time talking to God and kind of, you know, processing our day. Uh, the, the, not that that's not valuable. But the prayer that, that James is talking about, the prayer that Jesus calls us to, is a prayer that is powerful in its working. It accomplishes something. It is... Uh, Wielding the power of God. It accomplishes things. It sees significant results as we pray. All right, I want that kind of prayer. And I must confess that, um, you know, in, in the past years, I can't say that I've seen lots of that kind of power in my praying. And I want this year to be different. So how can we learn to pray like that? Well, James doesn't actually give us a lot of help. Other than this, he tells us, look at and examine the life of Elijah. He says, Elijah knew how to do this. Uh, and he was a man just like us. Uh, he was not superhuman. He was not uh, any different than you and I in, in his core nature. He was a fallen, sinful human being just like us. But he knew how to pray and see things happen. In fact, James says, you know, he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it stopped raining for three and a half years. So that's power, Right? And he prayed again, and poof, it started raining. Okay, he's powerful and effective in its working. So um, when, when, uh, when in the New Testament, when they refer back to the Old Testament, because you know it was scrolls and because uh, ink and paper was rare, uh, they wouldn't tell the whole story, right? He would abbreviate the story, but the story is about the account of Elijah's life during the time when uh, he dealt with King Ahab and prayed for it not to rain. The story is a lot more than just the rain. And so we're going to look at some pieces of the story. Today we're just going to get the, the first part um, and see what we can learn about powerful, effective prayer. Um, it's interesting when you compare these two versions of the story, and I'm going to read two verses to compare them. Note the differences. Okay, first James says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Okay, okay so it says he prayed fervently. Now notice what it actually says in 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither rain nor dew these years except by my word. You put those two things together, it's a slightly different version, right? James says he prayed fervently. King says he just told Ahab what was going to happen, right? It doesn't mention in there anything about him praying. Um, did, did James just make this up, right? Is James just, you know, assuming things? Uh, and the other question is, how is it that Elijah could be so confident that it would not rain? Right. Well, when we look at First Kings 18, verse 1, uh, there's, there's a small phrase in there that would be easy to overlook that we cannot. 
Elijah says that he stands before God. He said, the, the God who lives uh, before whom I stand. Um, don't want to skip that one, right? Because that really uh, says a lot about what it means to be a person of prayer. Elijah was a person who lived his life continually before God. Uh, we might say in, in our own language, you might say he lived continually in God's presence. Right? Elijah didn't just spend a few minutes here and there praying. He didn't just have a crash prayer meeting before he met with Ahab and prayed for it not to rain. No, it says that he was a person who lived his life constantly in the presence of God, standing before him. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means, uh, among other things, it means that Elijah had a deep, intimate, personal relationship with God. Constantly. Right? He was constantly in relationship and in close, intimate connection with God. And it implies in this verse, uh, it doesn't say it specifically, but reading all that happened in Elijah's life, um, it implies clearly that God told him it wasn't going to rain. Right? Elijah just didn't make this up on his own. You know, he, uh, he didn't just decide, hey, you know, I think, I think a drought would be good right now, and I'm going to pray for drought. Right? Anybody prayed for that? Right? I'm going to pray for destruction. Right? Uh, I don't think he made that up on his own. Right? It implies that th this idea came from this close relationship he had with God where God was speaking to him, where he was communicating with God. Uh, in modern words, we might paraphrase it this way. Elijah saying, I have been spending a lot of time with God. In fact, we hang out all the time. And Ahab, you should know that God has told me there will be no rain or dew for the next few years. Right? Uh, clearly, Elijah could speak with this confidence because God had told him this is what was going to happen. But it's interesting that James characterizes that, or James puts it in terms that that is prayer, right? that Elijah was praying. Does it mean Elijah didn't ask? Well, we don't know. Presumably he did, and we'll see at the other end when he prays for it to rain, he clearly is praying. Right? But the picture is that prayer for Elijah is not simply a monologue where he's telling God what to do. Okay? For James, and I think for, for Elijah, clearly prayer is two-way conversation with God. I think one of the reasons we have a difficulty in prayer is that we misunderstand at the heart of it what prayer is. We conceive of prayer being monologue. Right? We have this idea that prayer is about us uh, uploading all of our words to God, all of our ideas and thoughts and requests and petitions. Um, and certainly, prayer is talking to God. Okay, I'm not saying it's not. Right? Uh, we do ask for things. We do make petitions. But is that all that prayer is? Right? Is prayer a very lopsided, one-sided relationship where we do all the talking and God silently sits there and just listens without ever responding or speaking back? I think oftentimes that's kind of how we think prayer works. And experientially, maybe that is exactly how we feel like prayer works, right? Ever feel that way? It's like, God, I'm doing all the talking here, right? And maybe we've never imagined that prayer could be something different. Uh, we see it as a monologue. Um, but um, when you look at Elijah, I don't think that's how it happened. Right? I just can't believe Elijah, just on his own, 
had this brilliant brainstorm uh, that there would be a drought for three and a half years, and he prayed, God, I've got this plan. We're going we're to stop the rain. You and me, we're going to stop the rain for three and a half years, and we're going to shake up Israel because of all their sin and idolatry. And I, don't, I don't picture that's how that worked here. I picture instead this process where Elijah is in communion and fellowship and two-way conversation with God. And and indeed, that is what prayer is. Prayer is a two-way dialogue, two-way conversation with God. Um, And uh, that is what a relationship is, right? Right? A relationship for it to be healthy means two people are coming together and they are communicating to each other. If you ever have, and don't name names, but did you know you know that guy who just will never shut up, right? And and uh, anytime you're with him, they just talk nonstop, and pretty much you never get a single word in edgewise, right? From the moment you're together, they just talk nonstop, just like a machine gun, right? And you go away feeling like just like you got run over by words, like a train wreck full of words, right? Um, and you, you don't feel like it's so much of a relationship even though they love you because you listen, right? And most other people maybe don't. Um, it doesn't feel very two-way. It feels very one-sided, right? It's not a healthy kind of relationship. Or maybe you know other people who are kind of the exact opposite. Uh, dragging words out of them is like pulling teeth, right? You ask them a question, how are you doing today? Good. And? Yep, Good. Right, just everything is just trying to pull, pull words out, right? Also, not a healthy relationship, right? A good relationship with your, your good friend, a close friend, somebody you, you get along with well, there's good interaction, right? Good communication. You share thoughts and feelings, ideas, and you challenge each other and you stimulate each other, and there's back and forth communication. That's a healthy relationship, that's a growing relationship. That's a relationship that's living and that's uh, sustaining. Right? Uh, surely that's what it means to be in relationship with God. Right? A two-way conversation where God is speaking and where we are speaking and he is listening and we are listening. Um, and a significant thing about this relationship is that it is because of who God is, because of who we are, because he is sovereign and supreme, because we are created creatures, it is is a conversation that he started. God initiated conversation with us. I love that in John chapter 1 when it talks about Jesus coming, it describes him as coming as the Word. The Word became flesh. God is the one who initiates conversation with us. It's not something that we came up with this idea. Right? And that's at the core of what our Christian theology is about, our teaching is about, is that God pursued us. God reached out to us. God revealed himself to us. God's communicating something to us. Right? And for those who have ears to hear, right, we can hear God speaking. And that's the beginning of this relationship. Okay? It didn't begin with us. It began with God speaking to us. And we are to respond to his voice as God communicates with us. We are to do something with it. We are to respond, to answer him back, to communicate with him. But the communication uh, should really be a response to what he has shared of himself with us. Right? And that's really what prayer is about. 
Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't ask for things. We do, right? We do ask for things. We do pray. We do make specific requests. And we're challenged in Scripture to bring our requests before God to ask God for help. Okay, that is an important part of what prayer is. But we should see that in the context of this two-way relationship, this two-way conversation where God is speaking to us, and in light of what he speaks, we ask him for things. Um, How many of you would feel comfortable going up to, say, the president of your country or prime minister of your country and asking him to, you know, buy you lunch? Anybody feel okay with that? Hey, Obama, how about some, you know, lunch? I hear you got a good budget. Why don't you take me out for lunch? Would you ask something like that of somebody of that status and position? King of Thailand, hey, king, let's go do some tennis, right? Um, no, right, no. What gives, us the, what gives us the nerve to ask God for anything, right? If the kings and rulers of this world are... You know, you got to be careful how you ask things of them. How much more is that true of God? Well, we can ask the supreme king of the universe for things simply because he has invited us to. Right? He has said, come unto me, you who are weary and labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? He says uh, countless promises to us. And our prayer is a response to those promises. He promises to love us, to care for us. He promises to, that if we seek first his kingdom, he will provide for our needs. It's on the basis of what he has spoken about his promises that we have uh, any right to dare to ask him of anything. Um, so what we ask for and how we ask um, must be guided by what God is speaking to us first. Uh, Elijah prayed fervently for it not to rain. Uh, James did not make this up. Uh, He understood that uh, in this relationship Elijah had with God, this two-way conversation, uh, that God was speaking to Elijah. In response to that, speaking of God, Elijah responded in prayer. And together, um, God revealed what he was going to do in Israel. Uh, just to give some background, the Israel at this point in time, uh, Judah and Israel are divided into two separate kingdoms, and Elijah is in the northern kingdom of Israel, and it's been about 58 years since the kingdom was divided after the days of Solomon. And every single king for those 58 years who had ruled in Israel was wicked and godless. And step by step, each of them led Israel farther and farther away from worshiping God and farther and farther into idolatry until Ahab comes along and he marries Jezebel and they are full-blown full worshipers of Baal, not the true and living God. And they had no thought or care for the God of Israel, the true and living God that, uh, before whom Elijah stands. Uh, and I can imagine Elijah being one who loved God and who loved God's glory and was zealous for God's God's rule over Israel, for his glory in Israel. And as God revealed his heart to him, and as they dialogued, Elijah prayed for revival to come to Israel. 
Elijah prayed for the hearts of people to be turned back to God so they would know and love him as Elijah knew and loved him, as Elijah was in relationship with him. And somehow through that, God revealed his plan, revealed his plan that he would send drought as an effort to call Israel back to himself, to shake up the nation and let them know that he was the true and living God. And so Elijah prayed uh, that it would not rain knowing uh, and confident that this was God's plan and purpose to bring revival to the, to the nation. Um, for us, the beginning, I'm convinced, the beginning of truly powerful and effective prayer is not so much about what we speak to God. Right? It's not that we have the right words and we can muster the right faith and come up with the right formula of how we phrase our prayers and put our prayers before God with the right zeal that he will hear our prayers and answer them. Okay, that's actually a bad theology about what prayer is. Um, prayer is dialogue with God. It means God is speaking to us, his purpose and his will revealed in scripture and through his spirit, and we respond to what he reveals in prayer. Uh, and the more we live our, our life in his presence, the more we are in deep relationship with him, the more we are in true fellowship with him, the more we will know what it is God is about. The more we will know deeply in our heart where God is moving and what he is doing. And he will reveal his will to us. And he longs for us to pray in accordance with his will and purpose. <clears throat> now, at this point, some of you are probably thinking, hey, wait a minute. Okay, stop. Hold the bus. Hold the bus. Because this sounds like this. It sounds like, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. And we pray about what he's already going to do. And that's effective prayer. That's just dumb. Anybody think that's dumb? Okay, it sounds dumb. It's like, if he's going to do it, why do I have to pray for it? Right? If he's going to do it anyway. And if I, don't, if I don't pray, what difference does it make? Because it's his will. He's going to do it anyway. You ever feel that way? I think a lot of people feel that way, and I think that's one reason we don't pray. We know that God's sovereign and powerful. We believe he will accomplish his purpose and will. And it's like, why pray about what God is already going to do? It's like not a big deal. If I forget to pray for it, it doesn't matter because God's going to do it anyway. And if that's what we believe about prayer, we won't pray. We will have very little motivation to plead earnestly, as Elijah does. It says praying fervently for God to work. So is that what prayer is? Well, let's look a little further at prayer and God's will. How, how does this work? What does it mean uh, practically that we pray according to God's will? Uh, let me read verse 1 again. Uh, Elijah says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand... There shall be neither dew nor rain these years. And then notice this phrase, except by my word. Okay, except by my word. Okay, this is a pretty bold move on Elijah's part, okay? Elijah's saying here, look, I have authority and power to make it rain or not rain. Wow. Wow. Anybody, anybody claim that one, right? Just leave it to me. You want it to rain? I'm your guy. You want it to stop raining? I'm the guy, right? Um, 
It's really one of the most amazing statements about prayer in all of Scripture, if we understand what it means. Uh, Elijah claims that he alone holds the power to make it rain. Uh, it, is, it is not in God's hands to make that decision. It has been given to Elijah. Right? Not that Elijah believes he can make it rain, only God can do that. But the authority and power to call down the rain from heaven has been given to Elijah. Okay? You get, you get the, the implications of that? Here's the principle. God will never work contrary to his will. Okay? God's never going to do something that is not within the scope of his purpose and will. And even Jesus could not bend the Father to do something contrary to his will. So when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross, he prays that God the Father would take this cup of suffering away from him. Right? Jesus pleads with the Father that, that he would take away the cross. But then what does he say? But not my will be done, but your will be done. Right? Uh, even Jesus could not contradict uh, the will of the Father. Prayer must always be within the scope of God's will. Uh, God cannot answer prayers or do things that are outside it or contrary to his will. Right? So, so the, the truth is, if you want powerful and effective prayer, you must learn how to pray within the scope of God's will. It is not bending God to do our will. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that's what prayer is. Uh, nowhere does it say that, that, that being powerful and effective in prayer means imposing what we want on God uh, and convincing him that he doesn't really know what he's doing, right? that I know better. Okay? Powerful and effective prayer is praying through God's will. Uh, but it is not simply praying about what God is already going to do. Okay? It is not praying for something that we know God is already going to do. Instead, effective prayer is, pr is prayer that is bringing about God's purpose and plan in the world. Okay? Elijah was given the power to make it rain and to make it stop. Well, in reverse order. <laughs> make it stop raining and then make it rain. The power for that was in his hands. Right? It was God's will and it was God's power that it was do, would do that. But it was through Elijah's praying that God's will would happen in the earth. You see, praying does not mean we're simply praying for what God is going to do anyway. Rather... It, it is God giving us the authority and privilege to implement and bring about his will through prayer. Right? What an amazing privilege that is. Right? As God's children, he has determined, and I don't know why or how he's done this, but he's determined that he will only accomplish his will through us. Right? It is only as we pray that his will finds effective um, action, realization here on earth. Right? Um, we have been given the power of that. And the power of that is in prayer. Right? As we work with God to implement and realize his will here on earth through our prayers. And that's exactly what Elijah did. Three and a half years later, 
It was by Elijah's word that it started to rain. And Elijah went to Mount Carmel and he prayed. He prayed fervently. He prayed zealously. Now, why did he pray zealously if God was just going to do it anyway? Well, because Elijah knew and understood that God's will would be implemented and realized through his prayer. God is in partnership with us. He is sovereign and powerful. He will accomplish his will and purpose in this world perfectly. But he has chosen to do it, to see it implemented and realized through you and I. Namely, through prayer. Um, He works and moves, but he does so through our petitions and through our prayer with him. So so here's the picture of how this works. Um, We must first discover and know what God's will is. The basis and first starting point of prayer is that we hear God speak to us and we get a clear vision and picture of what it is God wants to do in the world. What does God want to do in the world? Well, like Elijah. Elijah knew that God wanted to bring his glory to the world. God wanted his name to be great in Israel, and it was not. And as, as, as Elijah was in relationship with God, God communicated clearly that he wanted to be worshipped alone. Well, where did he get that from? Well, he got it from Scripture. Right? He, get it from, he got it from the Word. And as, as Elijah was in the Word and in Scripture, God revealed lots of things about what he wanted to do. Um, as as Elijah grew in the understanding of God's will, he prayed in dialogue with God about his glory being revealed. And as he prayed and as he discussed and dialogued with God, God began to reveal to him specific things that he was going to do to shake up the nation. And through his spirit, he reveals specifically to the prophet that he's going to bring three and a half years of drought. And so when, when Elijah... Here's that word. He doesn't go, oh, cool, God. Well, I'm done now. I don't need to pray anymore because you're just going to do it. No. Elijah knows that he must pray those three and a half years of drought in. That it's by his word it will stop raining. And it's by his word, Elijah's word, that it will start raining again. So how does this work in our own life? Well, let's go back to the passage in James. Uh, We're talking about praying for healing, right? Let's just start. There's lots of things we pray for, but let's take this one because it's kind of fun and one that's kind of mind-boggling for me. Um, Praying for healing. Uh, Is it God's... Here's the question. So we've got to know what God's will is. So we're in a relationship with God. We're in conversation with God. Um, Is it God's will to heal people? Has God spoken to us anything about that? Well, he's... He has in lots of places in Scripture, right? Uh, Many places in the life of Jesus, who is the ultimate revelation of God, uh, in in the lives of the apostles, in the lives of the Old Testament prophets, and in places like James. All over the place, God is healing people, right? He's healing people. Not only is he healing people, he's like raising dead people, okay? Major healing. Blind people are seeing. Crippled people are walking, right? So at some level, at some level, right, um, God does this. And James says specifically that we're supposed to pray for this. He says, if any of you is sick, call for the elders, and they should come and anoint you with oil, and they should pray that you would be healed. Right? And along with that, you should be confessing sin, because 
Uh, the cause of your illness could be sin in your life, that God is, has brought this, this trial to purify you, to make you deal with unrighteousness in your life. Right? Um, so, so is it God's will? Here's the question, right? Here's the question. Is it God's will that God will heal everybody? What do you think, right? Well, I prayed for lots of people, and God did not heal them. So was I missing God's will, or am I just... Do I just not have faith? What is, what is it? What is the deal, right? Well, we know through Scripture that God will heal every person. He will do it for some people. And I'm thinking here of Christians, a uh, different story with unbelievers. But let's talk about believers, right? Praying for a believer. He will do it for some people instantly and dramatically. Right? Other people, he will do it through the natural course of time. Right? If you get the flu and it takes you seven days to get over it and you get better, were you healed? Well, if you got better, yes, you were, right? And God saw to it that you didn't die from the flu. You were restored. Did God heal? Yes, he healed, right? Um, Thirdly, God can heal through the natural course of death and resurrection, okay? Is that healing? Yes. In fact, it's the ultimate healing we all need. Reality is... The most supreme healing all of us will ever get someday is death. (laughs) Sounds a little ironic, but it's the way it works. Because you die, you're resurrected, you get a new body, you are healed permanently. Will God heal everybody? Yes. Will he heal everybody the same way? No. He will use one of those three methods, though. Either instantly and miraculously, uh, either through the natural course of time, or through death, right? So the good news is every person I prayed for has been healed, or will be, right? I'm at 100% by that definition. Um, so when we pray, though, for people, um, maybe we need more guidance than that, right? Because, like, it probably would not be helpful for a lot of people who, like, have a cold to say, God, I pray that you would kill them so they could be resurrected to new life. Okay, that might be a little much, right? And you'll freak them out, right? You'll just scare people, and they won't ask you to pray for them anymore, right? Just saying that, right? So how do we know? How do you discern um, how we should pray for the sick person? Well, if we are in dialogue with God, uh, and if we're the kind of person who, who's living constantly in God's presence, we're going to talk more about how we do this next week, but uh, if we're the kind of person who's living constantly in God's presence, I believe God will speak to us specific things, right? And there may be a time when he gives you a specific revelation uh, as you're praying for somebody who's sick or somebody who needs help. And and God will give you specific revelation about how you're to pray for that person. Uh, And we'll talk next week how how we can sort out what's from God and what's not. But, But God can do that. And here's the deal. When God gives you that kind of revelation and you have faith in that word, it gives you a whole different kind of faith in how to pray for that person. Right? And, you, and you can have a confidence to pray for healing that might be much more miraculous and instant than you would otherwise. But, but if you don't get that kind of specific revelation, uh, we do know from general revelation of Scripture that we are called to pray for every sick person. That's what James says. He says, if anyone is sick, anyone, call the elders and have them pray. And so, uh, and, and later on in James, he, he, he broadens that, not just to elders, but to the whole church. We're all to pray for the sick. 
Well, how do we pray for the sick? Well, you know, don't, don't make up God's mind for him, all right? God says we're to pray, we're to pray for healing. Okay, and we don't know how he will do that, but we should pray for healing. And here's the deal, right? Is God going to miraculously heal every person you pray for? Well, maybe not, right? Maybe not. But here's the thing. If we take this principle of Elijah, okay, it will happen, it will not happen except by my word. In other words, it will not happen unless I pray for it, right? God's will will not happen unless I pray for it. Here's the thing. If it is God's will to heal somebody miraculously, it is his will. It is within the scope of what he wants to do, and it is plan and purpose to bring miraculous healing into their life. How will he do it? Well, he will do it through prayer. And he will do it through prayer. And when you pray for somebody, you may not know what God's specific exact will is for that person. But you might be the channel of God's healing in their life because if it is what he is going to do, he's going to do it through prayer and through the prayer of faith. Right? So you pray with faith for God's healing in their life. And you pray even that God would heal them miraculously and instantly. Right? But you accept and know that God will not do anything outside of his will. So you leave it in God's hands. You leave it up to him. Now, if they, they didn't get healed instantly and miraculously, did God not hear your prayer? Well, absolutely not. Right? God heard your prayer. Uh, and God will work according to his power, according to his will. If, if it didn't happen at that moment, it will happen, right? either in time or in death. Right? It will happen. Right? Uh, we, we short, but here's what happens. We shortcut what God wants to do because we say, well, I just don't know if God wants to heal miraculously, and so I'm not going to pray with faith because I don't know what God's going to do. Right? And we, we, as it were, tie the hands of God from doing what he has willed and purposed to do. Right? So when we pray, we pray according to the promises God has revealed with confidence in those words. With confidence in those words. Right? And then we leave it up to God to work according to his will and his plan, knowing that he will work his will through our powerful and effective praying. And does that make sense? Does make sense? Right? It doesn't just have to do with healing, but everything in our life. Uh, what about the person who needs to know Christ, who needs salvation? Okay. God will either save that person or he won't, according to his divine purpose and election. But his divine purpose and election is not, does not bypass you and I. Right? If God's going to do it, he will do it through the prayers of you and I. So should we pray for lost people? Yes. right? Yes, because if he's going to save them, he's going to do it through the prayers of his saints. Right? There's power in that when we pray and God saves people as we implement and bring to realization God's will. Right? That is powerful praying. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. Right? Jesus says, I, the Son can do nothing of his own. I do simply what I see the Father doing. I see the Father working, and that's where I work. And Jesus understood that he was in partnership, implementing the will of the Father through his prayer 
and through his ministry. Okay? The same thing is true of you and I. Okay? Powerful and effective prayer begins with a relationship with God where we are in a two-way conversation with him, where we are attentive to hear him speak and to hear his heart and to know his purpose. Out of that, we respond through prayer. Uh, Some of it may be thanksgiving. Some of it may be confession. Some of it may be earnest, zealous petition as we seek to implement God's will that he's revealed to us in Scripture in his promises. And as we grow to understand his will and purpose in our life in the world, uh, we will learn to pray more specifically for what God is doing. Um, There there are some important habits, and we're not going to look at them today, but next next Sunday we're going to look at some habits to develop this kind of faith and this kind of relationship with God. But as we close uh, this morning, I want you to just bow your heads and um, just give a minute for God to speak to you uh, from Scripture. Uh, one promise that you know God, God has revealed, that God has given to us. What is one promise that God uh, would be speaking to your heart right now? As, as you come up with a promise, as God reveals something he's, he's given in Scripture, maybe something you've read just recently, um, how can you pray in line with that purpose? Uh, what can you um, respond in prayer to what God has revealed? Uh, maybe it's just simply giving thanks and worship. Maybe it is um, something that that you realize you need confession because God's promised judgment because of sin and you are not dealing with it. Um, Maybe it's a promise for provision or for blessing or for healing or for uh, the saving of somebody you love. And it needs to be turned into a petition. Whatever it is, just right now, as God puts that word in your heart, Take just a moment to make that a prayer to him. The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.